Hello and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, poet and playwright, Mark Antony Rossi. In this, our second year, we continue to explore the meaning of being an artist in an ever-changing digital world. Now, without further ado, here is your host. So welcome to Recent to Be Human. This is your host, uh, playwright and poet, Mark Anthony Rossi. We're going on to uh, Toying with Tangents, the series. Uh, we're going to be doing science fiction and writing, episode 140. I normally don't space them out this, this much. It just sort of happened, and then I got onto some other subjects. I meant to come back to it just a little later than I expected, but you can still pair them together. We did the first Toying with Tangents on horror. We're doing this one on science fiction writing, and then we'll go on to uh, some fantasy writing uh, probably in in September. Now that'll complete everything. You'll probably notice more on the internet now that I'm starting to package these things because we have a a, a growing library of all kinds of topics. So I'm be able to put these together in a sort of a one link thing where people can see the various topics and it allows them to easily access folks that are not normally been uh, followers or or even subscribers of the show. You know, they can at least uh, get the information and then maybe they can decide if they want to join us for a, a more irregular listening ship. But until then, I think it's a good way to do that. All right. Now, let's go along with this. I, I've been uh, always fascinated with uh, with science fiction writing. And when we're talking about science fiction writing, we're also going to talk about uh, what's been done for television and film as well. OK, because that's still writing. You got teleplays out there. And of course, you got. Uh, a, a screenplay. So it, just because it's on television, you see in special effects doesn't mean it's not literature. We still are going to be talking about that, especially since they help expose some of the ideas we're going to be talking about on the show as well. So there'll be a good, there'll be a good starting point for us on some, on some of that as well. Now let, let's go f- first with the literary, okay? In terms of both poetry and fiction, I mean, there's actually a couple of uh, publications out there that just work on uh, science fiction in poetry. And then you got you got some actually in short fiction as well. It's not really that unusual. I mean, I think for those forms though, though, it's a lot harder to really flesh out what science fiction does. And what does science fiction do? Basically, it's it's writing that has a science foundation, but it has a more futuristic element to it because some of that hasn't really happened yet. And we'll crisscross on the show here. I like to stick to TV when TV comes on the show. But what I can mention is this. Sometimes uh, science fiction, whether it be uh, written like what Jules Verne had did, and where he was literally talking about fax machines and radio signals and stuff like that in the 1800s, okay? He did did that a a number of times in some of his books, uh, Around the World 80 Days and uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I mean, he was able to see certain things or predict certain things that we now take for granted. And the same thing happened with Star Trek. You'll see them putting those cartridges in, in you know, in the uh, uh, the, uh, the panels on the spaceship there, whether it's a science panel or some other panel, they can put it in there and it gives them information. Kind of like what we do now with what we used to do with those three and a half discs, and now we do a compact disc. And, you know, so we still do that to a certain extent, and we've learned a lot from that. And and it's funny how they thought that's the route we were going to go, and we did. So that's really what science fiction is in many ways, is it it sort of predicts what it might think in the future. So this way they, they could tell a story, you know, without those things really have happened yet. But as much as it does that in the science slash technological area, science fiction also goes to a lot of areas that people don't always notice or, or really understand until later. Science fiction is great about talking about ethics, you know, about uh, about humanity, uh, about the, the good and bad of artificial intelligence. Um, philosophy will come up a lot in, in science fiction, even religion. And we'll talk about that. And you'll be fascinated to learn where religion came from the most. And you'll be like, oh, I didn't even see those signs, but they're there. And you know, you'll be like, wow, I didn't catch that. So now. We were just talking about poetry and, and short fiction in science fiction. Yes, it can be done. There's actually magazines devoted to that. It's just that those particular forms, which are very, I feel, uh, if not structured, at least brief 
and, and how they can go about things, they don't always really flesh out everything you would want from science fiction. So you're going to get more, I feel, of the superficial element of it. You're going to be getting more of the rocket ships and, you know, and computers taking over the world and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Because you really can't go too much, it's too much deeper in that. You really can't. It's much harder to do. So it's going to be a lot more pronounced, the science fiction and a lot of the elements we're talking about in, in the novel. It's really where science fiction has been since the day it was created in the novel. Because it allows you to have the most room. Like I said, Jules Verne, one of the first science fiction writers, predicted so many things. So we were talking about before, radio signals and satellites and uh, you know trips to the moon with rocket ships, fax machines. None of that stuff was even thought about. This guy's writing about it, okay? I think in many ways, Jules Verne is one of the overlooked writers on many of these many of these subjects, or even just about his books in general. It's almost like we just take it for granted. Yeah, 20,000 Leagues Under Sea, okay, a submarine, blah, 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 doo-doo-doo. What can be so interesting about that? Until you read more about what the guy's talking about, you'll be, you'll be pretty amazed. You know? Around the world in 80 days, uh, again, in the very popular book, especially in the educational system in America. I think other countries have it in other languages as well. But... Well, Mark, what's so fascinating about a guy like, you know, getting in a balloon and going around? What's well, because he's seeing travel that could be possible. They want to travel in, in ways that are, are greater than what could be done back then, which was uh, basically a, a horse and a cart or, or a very primitive uh, steam train at, at best. And remember, and this is not to, to, you know, to mock anybody, but during those times in the late 1800s, America was a lot more advanced on some of these things and, and some of the inventions and the innovations and even the infrastructure than Europe and other places were. So just because, you know, we might have had a steam train going through halfway through the country doesn't mean that that was still going on in Europe. You'll find that in many instances, it wasn't even being done yet. They were still trying to decide on how they wanted to handle that. It got done later on, but still. So in, in America, a lot of these things... What we're starting to take for granted, what other writers like in Europe, I think they were just dreaming more about what can be done with that. And, and that, that makes it, of course, that much more fascinating. It really does. H.C. Wells, here's a man talking about time travel, something that people have been fascinated about wherever. We're still fascinated about this. You got people out there really trying to think that they can invent something one day that just can work. Your scientists actually right now trying to figure out if time travel is even possible. On the theoretical basis. Einstein believed it was. He's no longer around. So it's not like they. Uh, you know they have some special notes on. This is how we can do this. But he, he left some, some clues. On, on why it's possible. H.G. Wells. Wrote a book. Okay. About time travel. And. He had a lot of stark. Warnings for us about going too far out and what we could discover going too far back and what we're going to discover not exactly positive things on either spectrum ironically he didn't spend a lot of time which other people did later on in science fiction about the possibilities of being in another time and place in history and possibly doing something that would mess with that and and if there were serious consequences for that, you know, because they are. I mean, I mean, and sometimes history works out the way it works out for the good and for the bad because of humanity trying to recover from something and going in another direction. There's so many things that have happened in history that you know if we change what 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 really came about. I mean, if really, if you think about it. Think about um, think about Hitler. People thinking about, well, if they killed him earlier, what would they have done? Would they have stopped the, you know, the Holocaust from happening? And if the Holocaust did stop from happening by doing that, would that change the state of Israel? Would Israel not been formed? Because you know there was such an impetus and an urgency for that after all of that has happened, you know, to those people. Uh, would it have happened later? Would it have never happened? Where everybody just went back to their regular countries and not consider it a, a valid concept anymore. 
it just yeah, all the theft and directions you could go just by changing a couple of things and what that would do. Imagine all the people that are not going to be around, all the people that would be around. So it, just a few things in history changed could could incredibly change an enormous amount of things in in the life uh, of you maybe or even in, in the world. So it's an incredible concept to to have to think about and, and what the ramifications could be. And that's really where you fall in. Not as much as philosophy with science fiction, but ethics. I mean, would it even be ethically correct if you had a machine like that? What the hell would be the point of even building a machine if you don't want to change something? And if you do want to change something, what kind of consequences do you have? Let's say, no, I don't want to do any of that, Mark. I just want to be a neutral observer. What the hell is that really supposed to mean? We, we now change the, his, the history book to a, something a little bit more detailed about some shading thing we didn't realize. That really, is it really that worth it? The chances that we could have actually altered or messed up something? Who's to say somebody is not going to grow corrupt in the power of having to travel out there and just do things on purpose? You know? Who's to say they're not going back, uh, you know, a couple of days in the, in the future to grab those lottery numbers and then coming back? Let me go play these now. Shouldn't harm anybody. <laughs> we don't really know. But it does allow science fiction in the writing for people to really, I think, take account in many uh, ways of not only their imagination, but maybe of their lives and what it does and how it affects people. More so than most other writing can be can be done. And I that's why I think it's so it's so fascinating in, in that regard. Um humanity. Well, we got a couple of um, writers that talked a great deal about humanity. Um, Isaac Asimov is one of the um, one of the big ones that wrote almost exclusively about humanity. And um, I'll give you an example uh, of one that even made into a you know a TV movie uh, called Fantastic Voyage, one of my favorite science fiction movies, only because of how endlessly entertaining it is, and also how much you learn about science and the human body. There's something about humanity right there. Okay, and remember, folks, I'm talking about books that have been out 30, 40, 50, 60 years, including a lot of these screenplays as well. So if I'm revealing anything to you, I'm not going to apologize because, you know, if you haven't figured out to watch this or check this out in the last 50 years, I don't know why that's not my that's my fault. So if you learn about these books and you didn't read them, oops, that's just the way it is. Okay, I got a show to do here. So this government agency needs this important scientist for some project that it's doing. So they tap into a, an experimental team that has figured out ways to miniaturize things. Well, they're like, well, how about if we make a submarine, we miniaturize it, put a bunch of scientists in there with big-ass laser beams, okay? Go inside this guy's arteries by being injected inside his body. We'll go over there and we'll knock out that clot that he has into his brain and help him recover so we can use him for our scientific purposes because the world's in danger without this guy. I mean, that's really what the whole story is about. Now, next thing you know, they're encountering things that you would just never expect. You know, remember, we have a human, we have a, a, a immune system that doesn't invite strangers uh, kindly. So you go from one area of the science fiction of, you know, fighting the real uh, enemies of, of mankind. You know those uh, brutal systems that want to steal freedom and and enslave you with their with their idiotic ideas. So now you're going inside the human body and you got germs going after you and bacteria and white cells and you know the, the, the threat of you'll you'll, you'll actually you'll, you'll reverse on the miniaturization because you know it only lasts so long. So you got to go in there and do your job and get out of there because God forbid if you're not out, the damn uh, mini submarine's gonna blow this guy's body up as it comes out of it. So you have to get out of that thing so that you can go back to where you're supposed to be at. So it's just an amazing uh, a trip and trial and, and a real education about you know anatomy and about uh, just human uh, cooperation and, and all of that. And, and even had Raquel Welch in it. So you know, if you want to add that to science fiction on top of everything, I, I don't know. That's like a perfect, perfect movie. has everything you'd want. Okay? You got science. You got some sex appeal over there. You got some education. Got some real quandaries about ethics. Ah, got everything. So it's it's a perfect example of a great book and, and, and really a great movie they made from it. They didn't even ruin it at all. They made it great. And this is way, way before any serious science fiction and special effects came about with Hollywood and 
you know, Lucas Skywalker ranch and all that stuff. And, you know, industrial light and magic and all that This is way before all that stuff. So, you know, it might look a little hokey to you now and then on the screen, but it's not hard to imagine what they're doing. And they did a really great job under the circumstances. So I definitely commend them for that. One of my favorites, if you ever get a chance to check it out, I'm, I'm leaving a lot of stuff out on purpose just so you can get a chance. But, you know, some things we got to talk about. All right. So that's Eisenhoff. He talked about a number of things. Um, one of his big uh, foundation series books is really about the um, the quality of, of robots and can they be programmed to not harm people. So therefore, people wouldn't be so afraid that an intelligent robot would beat the hell out of you and try to take over the world, which we'll talk about on, on this show here because there's pie in science fiction that that's worried about that. And I don't blame them, but you know, it is. So, I mean, he literally had that in his, uh, that the, uh, the robot would have certain commands uh, built into it that couldn't be overwritten that would protect human beings and that would not harm them. And that saw the, if not the logic, because quite frankly, if you're going to have animals with, with, with logic like robots, I mean, eventually they're going to see the logic of, well, I want to hang around these imperfect creatures that are, that are idiotic at times. Well, I'm, I'm better. I'm faster. I'm smarter. Why do I need them? Boop! The next thing you know, they're shooting you killing you and eating you. So he figured out a way to put that in there. So this way, uh, you know, robots wouldn't really uh, consider themselves superior to us because guess what? They're not. But a robot wouldn't understand that because a robot doesn't have a hard soul. It just has a, a little computer chip in there. And according to its its computer chip, you know, we're less than it, than it is. And this is what science fiction also teaches us as well about how technology can be necessary and even important, especially in these days of, of, of COVID. And we had talked about that with an interview with a clinical uh, social worker, uh, Tammy Smith, and we were just joking and laughing, but we were also being serious too, that in many instances, this thing is showing us and how useful and valuable and, and maybe even irreversible that technology can be in certain areas now. With telemedicine and all things like that, it, it just brings other things to, other, to the forefront that can be helpful to humanity. And I've never been against that. I don't like the dark side of it, and we need to be always on, on the eye for that. We always need to be vigilant about that. But at the same point, yeah, there's a lot of positive stuff like technology. Great. Let's use that. Nobody's against that. We just don't want it to get to the point where, you know, it's something that it's something that becomes an, an, an issue uh, later on because we didn't really think it through. And then, of course, we have the situation with Ray Bradbury. Now, he's a man that wrote his, his science fiction with a real, real human element in it. But it also had some unusual uh, twists about, about uh, humanity in regards to, uh, I think, prejudice and, and, and bigotry. Uh, one of his most important books, um, The Martian Chronicles, Again, you you get this you get this twist that you had no problem calling somebody else, you know, the alien or the the stranger or the Martian, or whatever word we're trying to use to really couch what we're trying to say, which is the other, something else. And usually in anybody's language on Earth, the other, the other, the something else, you know, it, it usually means something bad, nothing good, because it means it's not part of where you're from. So therefore, it has to be bad. Ooh. You know, he reminded us that what happens when somebody else does that to us? What happens you get an intelligent race that says, you're the friggin' Martian. You're the germ. You're the idiot. You're the less than who we are. And you're over here thinking you're better. Um, we think you're worse. How do we feel about that? Never all that fun to be on the side, you know, of, of being bigoted against. It's not, not, not some kind of a joyful uh, a treat. And you certainly don't get any real intellectual moral exercise out of it. Oh, yeah, I get that now. It's, it really helps round, make me roll well rounded. Uh, no, it doesn't. You just feel like a you know, target or a victim. So that book really makes that very clear. He also had some interesting things to say about censorship with uh, Fahrenheit uh, 411. You're getting a book. That is showing a society that had no problem destroying ideas and burning books because it didn't like what was going on. 
I mean, we still have that in lots of parts of the world. Writers are often in danger, even to this day, for what they write. That it could it could cost them their their freedom or even their life. It cost them their family to be harmed. All kinds of things can happen because people don't like ideas. So they don't like things you have to say. Well, basically, they just don't want the truth to be out unless they could do it in some way that makes it more palatable to them or more digestible to the masses or something. God forbid we talk the truth. That's the reason why, in many instances, you know, America and, and its way of life on either the way it's even designed its democracy, it, it was trying to do, you know, its level best on, on bringing about people talking the truth and living the truth and being in a place that the, the truth wouldn't be tracked down and, and destroyed or you wouldn't be harmed by it. I mean, we're still a, 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 an experiment in, in the making. We're still a, a society uh, moving in, you know, in various directions at times and not always in that direction, I'm, I'm sorry to say. But it is still one of our ideals. We're just not really there yet. You know, it's kind of hard to have a society that um, is built on equality uh, while simultaneously they have slavery. <laughs> or society talking about property rights while they're, you know, grabbing everybody else's. So um, it's only now in the last hundred years or so, I, I would say that we're getting closer, you know, to where we're supposed to be. Does that mean it's going to be another hundred years later before we're at? I don't really know. But science fiction, in many aspects, believes that eventually we come to terms with a lot of these things in society because it, it, it wisely says, and I, I agree with this wholeheartedly, especially with where Star Trek went, the TV show, and of course the teleplays that was written from it, it was based on the foundation that Earth was able to finally settle their problems. But if you hear about the history of Earth through Star Trek, You'll understand that we had a third world war. It was a nuclear war. We even had a war with eugenics where people were using science to try to make other people better and other people worse. And so we went through a number of, uh, of military and scientific conflicts before we finally came to the point where we realized that we needed to get together. And once they did that, you know, we were able to, to put together, a, a, you know, a, a space force and to examine things outside of our world. That is much to export our ideas, like with some kind of experts on, you know, being great people. I mean, God knows we know a lot about being bad people, but also because it would be a good way to to learn from other races, maybe, and other cultures out there. And, and that's really what the Star Trek was all about. It's one of the first, I feel, and even to this day, more forward-looking television and science fiction scripts that were out there because it had a sense of hope. Had a sense of, of positive play. It, it wasn't. It wasn't Disneyland. There was still conflict. There was still things to consider. There's still consequences for your choices and for your actions. You still had to command a, a bunch of people and, and be responsible for for your commands. You know, so it was still run as an exploration party, but it was also run as a military ship as well. So there's a little bit of both in that, but it had a forward-looking view. It had rules about engagement. It had rules about how to treat other people and how to treat other species, how to treat life in general. That it that it was it was that was precious and it was not something to be to be discarded because you didn't understand it or because you were afraid of it. So it really it really put all of those ethics and those values, things that we still need to figure out how to practice on Earth <laughs> would be nice here, um, out in space. As I, I've I've mocked and yeah, I really have mocked in my writing, and and I've certainly criticized uh, many of the efforts to go out there, and we still haven't really resolved what's down here. It, it, it uh, it's a terrible concern for me because I can't see us having alien contact and not being worried about you know the, by projecting their fears on you know ours onto theirs. So therefore, we're you know, we're trying to steal something from them, or therefore we're trying to harm them destroyed them or have a military conflict with them because we're afraid. I'm not really sure what we can really offer them. If they get, if they can get here from their planet, they're already more advanced. Does this mean they're more advanced as biological creatures in terms of um, how they can handle our atmosphere, our bacteria, or even morally and, and spiritually? Do they know more? Are they better? Have they evolved to the point where, you know, their society is more stable? They're not, you know, trying to murder each other every other day. 
because they look different from each other or something. Do they all look different? Do they all look the same? Is it a planet where everybody looks the same? Which is not like our kind of planet we have, where pretty much everybody looks different. Those are questions we would have to know about. And I don't know if we'd ever get all those answers right away without having to still make choices about what do we do? Do we make contact? Do we talk? Do we try and learn from each other? Is what they learn a dangerous thing that can be used later on to invade and destroy us? Is what we learn from them, could it alter the you know, the species here? Could it alter the, the, our history and the way we, we go forward? Nobody really knows. That's why we need science fiction, because it really helps us to try to galvanize some of those ideas in some kind of working way that we can try to get ahead around it, because those are extremely important questions. There's people right now that believe we've already been contacted, that believe those things are out there already, that believe that, you know, spaceships are flying around all the time. And I don't say that this isn't true, because I know on the theoretical, mathematical basis, it's a real possibility. But what I do say is this. Whether it is or not, at the moment, it could be something that we're going to face into the future. And, and, and how do we how do we face that? You know, if we're still dealing with the pedestrian issues of, you know, polluting the, on the place we live in, or or hating somebody because they look different, you know, or burning down somebody's building because they have a different faith in God, or maybe they don't have any faith in God at all. I mean, the basic things you think that a society evolved enough, scientific enough, they reached the stars, and we still haven't even settled most of this stuff at all. I know we're really impressed with ourselves. Yeah, we ended slavery. And I know we're real impressed with ourselves that, you know, we don't treat women like, you know, chattel anymore. And I know we're really impressed with ourselves. Our rockets are reusable. Yeah, okay. That's great. How about somebody invent some reusable toilet paper? And we can talk about how smart we are. Because until then, I'm not too impressed with any of this. And the reason why I say that is because we still have so much conflict going on. Still have so much of the earth that we haven't even explored. What is still out there that we could be using to help both the planet and ourselves? What is out there that we can use to cure for the diseases? Some, for all we know, we, we've caused by making contact with things that we probably shouldn't make contact with, okay? All right? I mean, a hamburger? All right, cool. But a bat burger? I mean, come on. It, it, it shouldn't be too obvious here, okay? Some things are just not meant to be eaten, okay? So you, you might want to keep that in mind. There's been the theory for the longest time, and I haven't really seen any evidence otherwise, that... Our venture into the deep forests of places like Africa and, and South America could possibly uh, bring us, you know, diseases and viruses that we don't have any protection of because we never exposed ourselves to that in the past. And, and while we're there in the first place, if we're not there to just try to study and learn things rather than trying to take things or trying to destroy things, you know, who's not to say that these forests are giving us something? And I'm not saying in some supernatural way that they're giving us something to defend themselves and therefore hurt ourselves. But ultimately, in the end, that's really what's happening as well. We might be taking something from there that we're not prepared to handle and have no way to really deal with. It's only now that they've figured out ways in the last five years to even like partially contain or control AIDS. There's no cure still, but it's more manageable now. And, and I'm not saying anything against managing a disease. That's, that's just important. It still extends people's lives. God bless. That's great. You know, but how about we figure out ways to, to not get these things in the first place? And some of these situations science fiction talks about. It talks about our contact with other things, other life, other cultures, other planets, hell, other space zones where a space could be in itself a dangerous thing to you versus a, a normal space. Uh, lots of people, according to what Einstein believes, is that if we ever do time travel, it has to do with something with space travel as well. So there's a lot up there that we obviously need to understand and learn, but I'm still of the belief, just like Star Trek, that 
Let's try to fix some of the things with down here first. I'm not anti-space. I'm not saying defund this or defund that. That's the new word these days. Somebody doesn't like something. Let's defund it. I'm not saying that, okay? What I am saying is let's just try to make sure that we have a priority. In many ways, I think SpaceX and, and Virgin and all these other folks that want to get involved in a private basis are great. I think it's great for humanity, to, for other folks to build things rather than let some cumbersome government do it, which is always done in, in an expensive and, and oftentimes a dangerous fashion, where I think that they have a better chance of doing things because they have the real pressure of a budget and they have the real responsibility of, I, I feel, of dealing with investors. And, and so in many ways, sometimes the commercial end of these things is a better thing for, for humanity. Maybe when we visit Mars one day, it'll be because of a commercial venture rather than a government one. Right now, there's a government and commercial venture that are together, and that's fine. That might not last forever, though. It might be the point one day where, you know, the government is just simply an oversight committee and, and provides the laws to, to structure that, and then everything else is just done on a private basis, from the training of the astronauts to the, to the building of the ships to the, to the building of everything. It might really be possible. We might even be giving them some money to put our, you know, people up there one day for whatever reason. So that's a real distinct possibility going into the future. But in many ways, these are positive developments. And I think a lot of times science fiction has shown this. We don't need, we don't need expensive governments or expensive places to do things and we can get it done cheaply and more efficiently. And of course, safely. I mean, look what SpaceX has done. They came up with designs and ideas that nobody has before. NASA certainly never came up with any of these ideas. And, and it was a drop in the bucket compared to what NASA has spent, even on one space shuttle. So it's just, a, it's just truly amazing. And science fiction shows us the way. But it also reminds us, like I'm reminding you now, that we got issues to still deal with here on Earth. And space travel, whether by design or by accident, it can't be allowed to just be a way to get away from Earth's problems. Like somehow we're going to magically become better when we're out there. You talk to little ETs and stuff. Hey, how you doing there? Yeah, I'm from a race that murders and kills each other for all kinds of stupid reasons. But, you know, I'm here with you now because um, I'm, I'm not one of those people. <laughs> yeah, you're human. So you're definitely one of us, okay? All the good and all the bad. So I think uh, until we can figure out more ways to manage the bad, and have more of a stable life and a stable government and even a stable planet. Certainly some stable, you know, ecosystems over here. You know, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, to go out there and do all this. With the understanding that there's so much that needs to still be done here. And I wonder if those folks, when they do this, even consider that. Because when you ask them about that, they get defensive with, a legitimate question to ask. And this is what science fiction can do under the guise, you know, of science fiction, of speculative writing, that it can start asking those questions and let people explore stuff without feeling like they've been put on the spot, without I feel like a market trying to hit somebody over the head because, you know, all their life they want to be an astronaut and go out there and do something good. Because guess what? There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. I'm just trying to show you the bigger picture, though. In the end, you know, we can be fascinated with these achievements. We can even be proud of them. But what does it say about us still? I mean, if you think about it, this is what science fiction tries to say in the philosophical ends. What does it say about humanity that is so excited about putting somebody in space, but it still can't get, find excitement enough to make two countries join together and, and live in peace? Well, it can't figure out ways to even make it's the police departments or, or it's militaries, or even just as common citizens have some respect from people who look different. We can't figure that out, but we can figure out how to shoot people into space and come back and land on the spaceship and land on the platform perfectly and reuse it over and over and over again. That incredible complex thing, we could figure that out. But we can't figure out these other things. What does it say? What does it say? I, I tell you what I think it says. It says that Humanity has an enormous potential. Humanity, when it puts its mind to it, when it makes something a priority, can get things done. So if we can get that done, why can't we stop the wars? Why can't we stop the, the pollution? Why can't we stop the, the prejudice and, and the racism? Why can't we stop all of this sort of stuff? 
Now, I'm not telling you that 100% stop. I mean, I'm, that would be science fiction. I'm talking about in reality. Why can't we do anything to greatly reduce it? Because we just haven't really. You know? I mentioned this before in one of the other shows, and it bears mentions again, even in America over here. Don't be too excited about us, and don't be too impressed. We, we, we put a set of uh, laws in the 60s that stopped people from being discriminated against in housing, and, and it stopped people from being banned from voting, and it stopped uh, the busting of schools and made things more, more, more equal in terms of the education. And that's all it did. That was it. Okay? I know we've been like lying to ourselves for about the last 60 years ago in the media and in the history books about how incredible this stuff was and everything's fixed now. As you can see right now, the folks who came after that, they don't feel anything's fixed. And no, they didn't have to march in the civil rights to, to suddenly feel that. They understand that the next step of what that should have happened didn't happen. We all just put it underneath the bed. It's all done with. We got a couple of, uh, of, of black billionaires and we got a couple of Asian billionaires and we got some women who are astronauts and uh, a, a black guy was a president. So we're, we're all good to go now. We're, we're cool. And this is why we have so many problems because we have never done anything else after we did those laws. We made the country more freer. We made it less cumbersome for folks like that. But that's about all it is. People still retained, obviously, they still retained in their hearts in their neighborhoods, in their families, those old-time beliefs. So that's the truth of America, and that's the truth of a lot of places out there. So you can't, and I'm sorry to burst anybody's bubble out there that's listening beyond America, you can't legislate way that kind of stuff. Can't. I stop hate right now with this law. It would be wonderful, but you can't. You know? I'm going to make everybody treat women equally. Oop, I put a law in there. doesn't work that way. Takes it takes a lot of priority. It takes a lot of pressure. It takes a lot of persistence. It takes a lot of time. After all that stuff's done, just to get anywhere. But if you're not devoted to it, if it's not a priority to you, or if for some reason you've fooled yourself to think that it's all good to go, women can vote right now. So we're, we're cool now. We're not talking about anything else. And then you wonder why you have these issues all over the place. So our advancement as human beings cannot just be on the mechanical, on, on the technological level. Because in the end, if we're not careful, we will export all of imperfections to space. If you don't think that we're not going to go up there and talk to aliens and somehow we've stopped becoming racist, we stopped becoming military-minded people that want to take over everything every moment of the day because we're afraid of something, well, then you've definitely not been uh, observing uh, the world or, or the history books, this show, or anything else. You just, I don't know, maybe you want to live in a cave. Or maybe denial is just so easy. But this is what we're talking about here. This is what science fiction is talking about. It's greatly concerned about that because it understands that and in, in, in the really, a nutshell, it's really no different from building a wagon train from Kansas to go to California. Man, it's a slow trip, sure. But yet the people who made this trip wanting a different life, were they different people? Can they become different people? Do they believe that the travel and the location to that place is going to change them to somebody different? Or are there simply the same boneheads that lived in Kansas that simply moved to California? And this is where I'm concerned about and where science fiction is concerned about on the philosophical basis. What's the difference between being a jerk on Earth, getting into a spaceship and going to Mars, going back to being a jerk? You're just a jerk on Mars now. So if we're not learning, about how we're going to change as human beings if we're not learning to be the better in terms of our judgments, in terms of our vision, in terms of what we see in our heart and what we're trying to accomplish, and all we're doing is just another sophisticated move, all right? And there's really no difference than going in the wagon train in the 1800s from Kansas to California or in the 2020s going from Earth to, to Mars. It's the same crap. 
We're just doing it in a fancier way. And now more people can see it on TV. But who are we sending over there? Oh, you might want to say, Mark, those are our brightest because they, you know, they pass math and they're really good on science and yeah, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's true. On an intellectual basis, I, I agree with that. You just can't put anybody in the spaceship. There's so much they have to understand and learn about math, about mechanics, about the, the universe, about the, even the biology of being in space. I got all that. I agree. But is that going to be enough? Does that stop those persons from their prejudices, from the things that they shade? To stop their belief and anything that they've learned on Earth, anything that we might have polluted or infected them with. So that's what I mentioned about. Let's try to also work about things down here, too. And you'll see a lot of that. You'll see a lot of that in science fiction where you have stories that make it very, very clear that it's really possible that you could start Another colony somewhere else, and you're pretty much just acting the same way. Uh, a, a big example was uh, Robert Heinlein's uh, Total Recall. They made a couple of movies out of it. Either one of them are not all that great. Both of them are not too impressed with. You know? But at least they help illustrate the point about you go to another planet, in this case Mars, and you, you just wind up becoming a dictatorship over there, doing the same dumb things you're doing on Earth. Now you're charging people for air, and you're charging people for water, and you're using brain brainwashing technologies in order to be able to make them into somebody else so you can you can find a, a rebel leader because terrorism is, is wrecking the place because you know the government there is, is not built on equality. It's just built on exploiting resources. Wow, doesn't that sound like Earth? No, Mark, we're on Mars. Yeah, okay, thank Just call it Earth 2 maybe then, because it doesn't look like Mars to me if you're just doing the same crap as here. So we, we see that a lot in uh, in uh, science fiction. And one of the things that we have to be careful about with, with science fiction is, sure, that made me a lot of parallels to our life, and sure, there's it's a lot of fun to, to work on these all these different examples. But in the end, though, then we start taking something from it. Because sometimes people, it's just science fiction. I don't think it has anything more than that. Just robots and women with tight skirts on and laser beams and blah, blah, blah. Hey, I'm all for all that stuff too, okay? But hey, it has a, it does have a type of message that's different than most other writing. I mean, you're not really going to get a lot of messages from, from horror, really. It's really just about trying to scare you to a certain extent. Trying to unsettle you by certain things. But science fiction, it has a, a lot of messages about who we are because it wants to know those questions. It wants to see some answers to those questions so that we're not so enamored with space travel and, and machinery and, and talking robots and computers and everything. You learn from the 2001 Space Odyssey, Arthur C. Clarke that wrote that, and one of the things he was concerned about was what if artificial intelligence turns on us. Now, we've seen it from the Terminator movie, so we have an idea on how bad that can be. But what happens if it's more subtle, like 2001? Where it's it's learning to lie to us, and it's learning to harm people, but it's not doing it in, in a, a quick fashion. It's just subtle and methodical about it. And next thing you know, you don't realize what's going on, so you're like in big, big trouble. Because what you thought you can count on, now you can't. Because it's the enemy up there. The incredible movie, one of the one of the greatest probably science fiction movies ever, and of course the book is is really really amazing. It, it's an important point to make. And he was a man that loved science fiction, loved humanity. He was a man that that had wrote about satellites on the Earth and GPS and stuff before they even had it. So Arthur C. Clarke was definitely out there uh, looking after us. And right now. With the introduction of artificial intelligence, we need to definitely be uh, cautious about how we're using it and how we're being smart enough to not allow it to be, you know, in total control of many things that could possibly put us in danger. You know, its its uses are, are I feel, uh, limited, and we should kind of limit that. Some things that should be limited, and that would definitely be one of them. Now, not to close the show yet, but the last segment of the show really is about various spiritualities and, and religion and science fiction. It, it brings it about a great deal. 
and a lot of times it's not so noticeable. You'll see it if you ever watch the TV show Babylon 5, where they literally have different faiths, you know, all as ambassadors on this big United Nations spaceship trying to figure out uh, how to get along when they have long histories of, of violence and conflict and, and, and bigotry. Now, sometimes inside those religions are not only the answers to maybe to fix some of these problems, but they could have been some of the reasons why we had those problems in the first place. So science fiction always gently reminds us that our organized belief system, whatever it might be, we have to be sparingly on how we use it and how we apply it to ourselves in the world with the understanding that, you know, it could also, in many instances, you know, be a, be a harmful thing too. Causing other people to, to become more bigoted or causing other people to be more exclusionary or, or even driving fear into people about things. So it should never be an element that's used to control people. And this is where a lot of people who don't like religion will, will always say, I still think it has a, a, an important element to Earth and an important element to humanity. I, I really would not want to be on a planet or want to be in a, in a future where we didn't have both science and religion together trying to figure out the truths of the universe. They're not incompatible, no matter what anybody has to say. They actually work in hand in hand, if they're allowed to, with each understanding that, you know, there's a boundary and they have to have some respect. You know, because science doesn't have all the answers and, and neither does religion. In fact, both of them, whether they want to admit it or not, you know, rely more on guesswork and, and, and faith about certain things because you don't know everything. But you'll notice it in that show, Babylon 5. We've seen some episodes on Star Trek about it as well, where certain philosophies. Um, a perfect example would be Spock, the character Spock with the ears of Vulcan. And we learned that they, uh, uh, the Vulcans adopted the, the philosophy of logic mainly because it was the only way for them to stop being the violent species that they used to be in the past. They learned that if they can adopt this logic, understand things about meditation, even about mind melding to try to learn deeper things about each other, that that would keep them more honest. That would keep them not violent. That would keep them stable so that they could build a society rather than where violence oftentimes erodes the society because you know, it's kind of hard to be violent and stable at the same time. That's why violence sometimes is not helpful for a civil society. It's going to have its bouts here and there, but, you know, it can't be an ongoing thing because you can't be stable that way. And that's what they did. They built that philosophy around that. Uh, to give them credit on the show, they didn't make it like they were trying to promote that for the whole universe and, and beating people up if he wasn't logical. But they were using it as their way to interpret things in the universe. And, and they would, of course, be always perplexed about, you know, how you came up with the decision and you didn't use logic, you know, because ideas of emotion, ah, or ideas of, I guess, how you like that, Mr. Spock? I guess that answer. I didn't need logic. That that would be, like, alien to them. That would be, like, ridiculous. I'm like, what? You didn't logically deduce that? Uh, no, I don't know about deducing anything, okay? But uh, I came up with it anyway. So, as you can see, right from that example I just gave you there, is a lot more one way than out there to, to view and see things. That's why it's never a good idea to give somebody a hard time about their own belief system. Unless it's a belief system that, you know, it's predicated on, you know, bigotry and violence and something like that. Then, you know, of course, you want to be able to say, listen, that's not constructive at all. But other, there's plenty of other systems out there that have nothing to do with that. Many a times, though, science fiction really gives you the, the good example of that is people will use these things you know, for the wrong ends and, and then they wind up becoming you know, tainted and people wind up looking at the, the wrong way. Say that about most religions these days, that you got representatives of it, or at least people who think they're representatives of it, you know, acting poorly, acting foolishly, even acting violently. And what that does to the people's perceptions of that, of that faith. Is it fair to blame the whole faith when somebody blows up a school bus for children? Oh, I don't know about that faith. Hard to know. But what I do know is this. You're still responsible for your own actions. So whether you claim that or not, doesn't mean that that faith is, is responsible for it. So I, I wonder if we just need to be more 
more careful about this, you know, using that brush on everybody. And I, I don't want to ever do that because I, I don't think that's a, a fair way to give somebody a shot about anything. Now, one of the things that people are not aware about in, in science fiction is, is how much religion can be in it. And one of the best, best, best examples of it is Star Wars. You never hear anyone talk about that. Star Wars is probably the most religious science fiction franchise, movie, script, or anything else that's ever been put out there. It has huge elements. You know, of Buddhism and even Christianity. There is even, in many instances, Sintoism. You got a lot of issues about ninjas in there. But if you think about it, there's a force out there, you know, a spirit force, you might want to call it. They try to make it more scientific in some of the Star Wars movies. To me, uh, that, that really didn't help much, kind of makes it more confusing to stick to the, the spirituality you put in the movie. You know, and if you think about it, the people that are using this this force, whether they be bad or, or, or they be good, they're surrounding in the world that's become super technological. I mean, Darth Vader was unimpressed with the technology. He's literally strangling somebody with his powers from across the room, telling people, you know, I'm not impressed with this monstrosity you built. It's nothing like compared to the power of the force. And the governor guy. I think his name was Tarkin, that had run over that uh, that whole uh, space station and was in charge of it. You know, he told him to calm down, stop killing his, you know, one of his troops there. But you could see how nervous he was because even he didn't understand that there was a spirituality out there. He accepted that power was there because it, that was a fact he couldn't deny. But they were also enamored about the technology. Star Wars is a very good example of telling people that. As much as you can have all this technology out there to go good and to go bad, in the end, it doesn't mean anything. You know, if you haven't looked about what was going on in the rest of the universe, that power can be out there beyond technology, that the spirit world is a possibility, that nature was important down on these planets. And even though you had giant spaceships shooting this and shooting that, you had nature out there still thriving and wanting to be part of things. So you saw that. You saw that in Star Wars. Literally, you're believing from the superficial part of the script and, and from what you're seeing in, in, in the actual films that this is about a bunch of guys and girls on the good and on the bad side of the force fighting each other. And that's what the whole thing's about. And you're missing the fact that, no, it, it's really mostly about Technology versus all the other things that technology can't produce. Technology cannot produce honor or loyalty or friendship or the devotion to a cause or all the spiritual elements of what the Force was. I mean, you had Han Solo, who's pretty much a criminal atheist. That's pretty much how he starts out. I'm not sure if he ends out that way, but he certainly starts out that way. And even though he's both those things, he's not a bad person because he's still a person of character. He still has a sense of honor in him. That's why he's able to help them in the end. Because he's like, yeah, I don't want to. I don't be on the side of these jerks. Even if I do steal stuff and pay for money to smuggle people across here, and I'm, I'm just trying to eat, you know, whatever. But even he starts to understand that. There might be something more out there. Remember, he eventually marries a woman that, that has that as well. And they have a child that has it as well. So definitely becomes a believer of, of it and to a certain extent. But yeah, Star Wars, like probably the most religious uh, science fiction movie ever made. You really do have an idea about you know learning more about how technology has its place in society and has its place in the world, has its place in the galaxy. It certainly does. But in the end, it's not technology that's defeating technology. It, it's it's the human heart. And it's the, the friendship of those that banded together to stop those that want to steal their freedoms, that they want to harm other planets. They want to destroy, you know, entire planets and ecosystems with their weapons because they think it's fun to, you know, to show off their power. So that really is a big message on that. And I really find that, again, in many ways, uh, Star Wars, just like Star Trek, does have 
a more hopeful message. It understands that oftentimes friendship is even more important than your own belief system. If you remember here, okay, people have defied their organized belief system because of friendship. I mean, Luke did it. Anakin Skywalker, his father did it. Darth Vader did it again when he turned back to the good side. So there are things that are deeper than all of these things. And, and that's ultimately what a, what, a, what, a, what a script and a franchise like that is really trying to tell us and, and try to tell the world that in the end, and that's why I bring it up on the show that's called Strength to Your Human. Star Wars is telling us in, in the very end, the very common denominator is that love and friendship is even more important than organized belief, than even spirituality to a certain extent, and certainly more important than technology because none of those things, whether they're good or bad, whether we use them good or bad, can really equal the power of of loving somebody and doing something because you believe in them or just the friendship that you have with somebody that, hey, these people are on the right side. I, I like these people. They're in danger. I'm going to help them. If they need some help, I'm going to help them. Versus a, a you know a belief system saying, maybe you shouldn't help them. Let's go over and do this. See, so not every technology, not every uh, belief system out there you know, is always going to be stuck on doing the right thing or, or even is even capable of doing the right thing. But you, as an individual, can do the right thing. Science fiction, amongst many of the messages that it has, often focuses on the individual. The individual matters. The individual makes the difference. The individual takes upon himself like in the perfect example of uh, Dune, another very, very religious book as a science fiction book, one of the big classics. I mean, it actually is probably more religious in terms of its terminology and its and its organized belief system than even Star Wars. Star Wars is smart enough to couch it in certain ways and it still get it across. So Dune is like right out there. Combination of, uh, you know, Islam and, and, and Christianity and Buddhism all wrapped up in one. But again, one individual. This is what Science Fiction talks about. The individual makes a difference because the individual can tap into something that all those other things can't tap into, the human heart. That it can move things in society and move people because it has a soul. And these things don't have a soul. It's a, it's a strange irony that an organized religion can teach you about how you have a soul but the organized religion itself doesn't have the soul. It's on the individual that has that, okay? If you believe in God, it, it's really, really apparent that God isn't going to judge the religion. It's going to judge you, how you went about things. And it's not going to judge you on how much you followed that religion as much as how much you followed your conscience, how much you followed your heart, how much you used your soul to make decisions that sometimes are not very popular. And that's really what I love about science fiction more than anything else is that it still remembers the individual. That's really the thought I want to leave with you about science fiction. It's also a thought I want to leave about you in real life as we continue to face COVID and face all kinds of other things in, in our society. Let's not forget about the, the individual and, and the choices that the individual makes. And the choices that sometimes the individual makes because they're, they're so worried about the collective or they're so worried about society in, in general. Or they're even worried about their group of people. And I'm not really saying that anything's wrong about worrying about those things. But in the end, you're responsible for your choices. You can't blame somebody else or even blame your own group or blame the government or blame the aliens in space. You have to be responsible for who you are. As a writer... As a science fiction lover, as an individual, let's just keep that in mind when we when we go forward over there. Even the choices that we have to make during the COVID situation that we're dealing with right now, which it doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon. I'm I'm fully expecting to see and talk about this stuff next year. And I'm not even trying to be grim; just being honest and realistic. It's still going to be about 
what choices the individual makes. Just keep that in mind. Because if something happens to your family members, you know, you could spend all day long talking about the government told me this and, you know, uh, the religion told me that and the scientists said this and the philosophers said that. And all your conscience is going to say to you one day when all that crap is stopping in your brain is, well, what did you say? What did you hear? What did you do? Well, let's keep that in mind, folks. The individual. It's what America has always been founded on. The power to the individual to have free choice and, and to have a, a life uncovered by all of this nonsense. We're not there yet. And so the rest of your world are not there yet either. So I'm not worried about you getting upset about that. But we can be. But we can only be when we start respecting the individual. And the best way to do that is start learning to respect ourselves. And we can go forward. God bless, folks. Until next time, this is Mark Anthony Rossi. Toying with Tangent Science Fiction in Writing, Episode 140. Until next time. Thank you for listening. Follow the show and support our efforts by visiting our sponsors at www.strengthtobehuman.com or purchasing an ebook at www.somapublishing.com.